This is Bridging the Gap with Love, Episode 7, Frequently Asked Questions. I'm Heidi Brower, a birth mom. And I'm Jessica Johns, an adoptive mom. And this is a podcast about our own stories and experiences with adoption, while hoping to provide education and support for birth moms, potential birth moms, and anyone with a connection to adoption. All right, guys, welcome to today's episode. We are excited to be here today. Uh, First of all, I just wanted to say thank you again to all of you who have uh, shared our podcast, who have reached out to us. Uh, it, It just means a lot to us. So we just are really thankful for the support. Okay, so today we're going to do some commonly asked questions. Now, I don't know if there's times in your life where you've experienced something and people just ask the same questions over and over and over again. Well, uh, we also get questions over and over and over again. And so we thought that this would just be a fun episode to do to answer some of those commonly asked questions. I also find it interesting because I think that sometimes people are afraid to ask questions because they might think that this is a touchy subject or we don't want to open up about it. But I will tell you from my perspective, and also I know that Jessica would say the same, that we love answering questions about our stories. We love sharing. We love opening up to people. We just love helping out people in any way. So maybe you've been wondering some of these questions, and now we are going to answer them. So I think the number one question that I get is, do you regret placing Alex for adoption? And I will say that is a resounding no. I... Even 20 years later, I do not regret placing her for adoption. Um, It was a very difficult decision. And I just have never... Okay, I lied. There was one time (laughs) that I was like, did I make a mistake? And that's because um, early on, Alex's mom and dad got a divorce. And I'm not really going to share much other than just the fact that they got a divorce when she was around uh, eight years old, I believe. And that was the one moment where I was like what did I do? Like, why would I put her in a family that was broken when I could have kept her in my own family? Like, that was really the thought I had. I could have kept her in my own family that I knew was going to be broken anyways, right? And I think what got me through that was a lot of contemplation, a lot of prayer, a lot of kind of like asking like, why did this happen? Because when I placed her for adoption, it was so that she could have a mom and a dad. And honestly, just because they got a divorce did not mean that her dad was all of a sudden out of the picture. He was still a dad and he still um, took care of his kids and he has, he's still her dad. And I had to keep going back to the fact that when I placed her for adoption, that I knew without a shadow of a doubt that those were her parents. And I kind of had the Lord speak to me in the way that I needed to hear. And it was kind of more like, you could choose her parents, but you could not choose what her life was going to end up being. Like you could not choose her trials. You could not choose all the things that she was going to go through because she still has to live her life and she has to grow and learn. And once I had that confirmation come to me again, I was reminded that I did the right thing. And so ever since then, I've never once doubted or regretted that I made the right decision, even though it was the hardest thing I've ever done and I hope to ever have to do in my whole life. Okay, Jessica, what's the number one question that you get? So I think the number one question that I get is, did you worry about being able to love your children as much as your own children? And I think my first response to that is, 
Evelyn, Nora, and Bradley are our own children. That's right. <laughs> They're not our biological children, and I, I totally get that. But I have heard a lot of people ask this. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I could adopt because I don't know if I could love my adopted children as much as my other biological children, which I think it's a good question, but it's kind of also, I think, silly. Maybe yeah. not. <laughs> no, I, I honestly think it, like, on both sides here, even for biological parents, like, attachment and love... And that relationship, I think it grows. I think it's gradual. And maybe there are so many parents and mothers that have this like love at first sight and this instant attachment to their babies, um, which is which is amazing. But I think it's also okay to talk about the fact that like we have to grow to love these tiny little humans. Um, And that's how it was for me. I thankfully got to take Evelyn, Nora and Bradley home from the hospital. So I got to attach to them very early on. but I, I don't think I necessarily looked at them and said, like, ah, this is the moment um, right. that I've always been waiting for. Like, I I recognize them from before, like some kind of Saturday's <laughs> warrior moment. <laughs> Have you seen that? Yes. Um, which I think is kind of a little bit misleading. But I I was their mom. I w- yep. They were completely dependent on me. I did everything for them. Like, even though I didn't breastfeed them, they relied on me for food. That's right. So I, like, I serve them and love them. And for me, that's how relationships grow. And so we bonded naturally and gradually and over time. And we all just fell in love with each other. And it maybe wasn't instantaneous, but the more that I spent time with them and loved them, the more I came to know that that they were always mine and that they always were meant to be in our family. Does that make sense? Oh, I love that. Yeah. Makes complete sense. You feel that way? Because you have, you know, you have... Children that I had to learn to grow. (laughs) I mean, what was it like for you? Like, you know, you know, I think breastfeeding a child, delivering a child, all those things, it's such a personal, intimate experience. So I'm sure that really aids in your attachment to, to your children. But you know what I find interesting? This just came to my mind. That when I was pregnant with Alex, I almost um, subconsciously tried to not attach myself to her mm-hmm. because I knew that she wasn't quote unquote mine. Like yeah. I wasn't going to get to keep her. Again, my own choices, the ones that I was making. But it was very like I didn't know that she was a girl until probably a week before I delivered. Wow. So I didn't have that like seeing on an ultrasound that she was a girl. I didn't have that attachment there. I just always knew that when I placed her or that when I gave birth to her, that she was going somewhere else. So even though she was biologically mine, and I still felt connected to her in a way, I still felt like she was meant for somebody else. And which is very interesting because it's kind of like the same but opposite kind of situation. And I, I loved her then and I love her now. And I do feel like she's a little teeny tiny piece of like there's a piece of me out there. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't feel the same attachment to her that I do as my own right. children that I'm growing now because I haven't served her in that way. Yeah. And her mom has. So, yeah. That's that's an interesting thought I just came up with. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and I think that's just a common misconception about motherhood in general, that we're just going to be overwhelmed. And maybe this happens with hormones and stuff like that, that you're just going to be overwhelmed with emotions and love for this child. And, and perhaps all of that happens But for me, just like any other relationship, the more time we spent together, the more I got to serve them and meet their needs and love them and get to know them and get to know their sweet little personalities, the more I fell in love with them. Yeah. So they're mine. And yes, I love them just as much as I would. They were biologically mine. I agree. (laughs) 
So I think that kind of goes into my next one. I always get asked, did you choose Alex's name? So if you haven't listened to episode two, I kind of talk about this in episode two. But if you haven't, that's okay. We can still be friends. But I'm going to answer this again. So when I had Alex, I didn't have a name for her because I just felt like it was her mom and dad's choice. Like they get to choose her name. And I remember them asking me, do you have a name picked out for her? Which I thought was very respectful and kind of them to do. And I said, no, I gave her life. I wanted you to choose her name. And so then they told me that they really wanted to name her Alexandria, but call her Alex. And I was like, I love the name Alex for a girl. And I remember very specifically being an elementary school kid on the playground you know how just when you're a little girl, like you have all these hopes and dreams about what your life is going to be like and all the names of your children and these magical times that you're going to have as you're older. And I remember thinking one time, Alex is a really cool name for a girl. And I almost feel like it was just this little hint from my Heavenly Father saying like, Alex is a cool name. Like it's an awesome name. And so when they said Alex, I was kind of like, oh, it's almost like it was like meant to be like very serendipitous. Yeah, I just. And so when they said Alex, I was like, yeah, I think that's a really cool name for somebody that's like play sports or <laughs> I don't know, somebody who's kind of like me. And then she ended up being a dancer. So we're not really that similar. But <laughs> <laughs> but that was I just decided that they should give her the name. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I, that's a question that we get a lot, too. And in the end, we did get to choose Evelyn, Nora and Bradley's names. But um, because Danielle, for probably six months of her pregnancy, um, had planned on parenting the girls, she had obviously chosen names for them. Their names were Charlie and Mallory. And so yeah. when they were born, those were the names that were on their birth certificates, on their little hospital beds. And it was how Danielle referred to them um, early on. And then once our adoption um, went through, you know, Jared and I got to pick names for them that would go on to their birth certificates. And we had chosen years ago uh, the names Eva and Nora. They were names that I loved from from my mission in Latvia. And then for Bradley, I remember getting together with Jessica and her parents and family members one Sunday afternoon after church. And we were all kind of getting to know each other and talking with each other. And she was still pregnant at this time? She was pregnant, yeah. And um, our adoption plan was new and fragile, but also just like really exciting. And it was just so fun to be in her home with her family members and for them to get to know us a little bit and our daughters. And there was a point in the conversation where I think it was Jessica or maybe her mom, Jackie, that asked, have you picked out a name for him? And I remember like looking timidly over at Jared because we had like we had the second we found out about him. Were you afraid that that would hurt Jessica? I was. I was probably worried that she had chosen a name for him and that this would be, you know, this is one of those awkward Mm -hmm. moments that, you know, silence just kind of falls for a minute and you have to decide like whether or not you're just going to be open and honest and, and share like, yes, we had chosen a name. Like we are starting to fall in love with your son that you're carrying right now. It was, it was wild, but we, like the second that we found out about Jessica being pregnant with a baby boy, the name just instantly popped in my mind. His name was going to be Bradley. And that's my dad's name and my brother's name. And I remember sharing that with her. And it honestly fit in so well with the names of her other sons. Jessica has an, um, has two older sons, Maddox, and then a son, Brixton, who died at birth. 
and then there's Bradley, and now she has a younger son named Damon. And so, anyway, I remember her face and her family's face, and I remember just feeling like they loved the name, and they were going to love him, and that it fit with their family and not just ours. I love that. That's the best. What's next? Okay. um, Birth fathers? Yeah, let's talk about birth fathers, (laughs) because I don't think we talk... We don't talk about birth fathers very much. Let's do it. And I will say, in a... In the birth mom community, a lot of times I would go to, like, group therapy, which basically is just a bunch of birth moms or pregnant women or people who have just placed or have placed for a long time. And we're all just hormonal. And sometimes we just want to complain. Yep. Because we want to be heard. Right. And a lot of times birth fathers would get referred to as sperm donors, Mm -hmm. which I think in some cases, sure. Some cases there are men or boys who have... um, Helped get somebody pregnant. It's a two-way street. That's correct. (laughs) Most of the time. Sometimes it's not. That's right. Science. Um, Yeah. And sometimes there are those situations where, unfortunately, there was rape or other situations. And that's not what I'm talking about when I talk about this situation. But um, a lot of times there are men or boys who get somebody pregnant and then they want nothing to do with the pregnancy. They either ask for the woman or the girl to have an abortion or they just leave and they're nowhere to be found. And I remember being in group therapy and talking about how some of these women were trying to hunt down the birth father or sometimes they would call him sperm sperm donor or by their names and just say, we can't find them. They won't sign paperwork or we have found them. They're refusing to sign paperwork. And then it becomes a whole legal issue. And, but I will say a lot of people are like, you don't talk very much about your, about Alex's birth father. And really, because in a way, I kind of feel like it's his story to share. And I don't want to share too much about his feelings or whatever. But I will say, again, in episode two, I talk about this, that he was involved as far as picking a family. Um, He helped me. He looked through profiles. He looked through red letters, looked at pictures and was very supportive and was very willing to sign paperwork. And the day that I went into labor, he flew down to Utah on the next flight. And he was there um, a few hours after Alex was born. And he held her and he spent time with her and he wrote letters to her. And he was just there with us overnight to spend as much time as he could with her. And he continued to write them until about she, she was about six months old. And he just, I think, processed things a little bit differently than I did. And I never fault him for kind of not continuing on I will always honor him as her birth father and um, will always support if that's a relationship that ever wants to be um, cultivated between the two of them. But also, I feel like a lot of his story is his story to tell. And I just like to refer to him and just say that he was very supportive at the time that I needed him the most. So I really appreciate him and everything that he did for me to support me at that time. So what about yours? Yeah, I think birth fathers play a huge role. Um, they are the other, you know, 50% of, of this parenthood that needs to make this decision. And so I feel super grateful with our, with our daughters, with Evelyn and Nora, their birth father, Chad, they've met him. They have pictures with him. He was in the hospital when they were born. Um, he loves them. He also got to like zoom in for their baptism. He was a part of the process before the girls were born. So we met him while Danielle was still pregnant. And we knew that Danielle and Chad probably wouldn't stay together um, and that we would need to kind of cultivate these relationships individually. And I think this is just another example that each adoption story 
is is so unique and individual. Um, but for our girls, um, they they know and have a relationship with their birth father, Chad, and we love him and are grateful for the role that that he played in supporting Daniel, or sorry, supporting Danielle, Danielle in placing the girls for adoption and helping her um, in those months after she placed. Um, and the ongoing relationship that we have um, with him. Yeah. For Bradley, it's a little bit different. We Thankfully, with technology, it's so great because even if Bradley's birth dad isn't totally ready to jump in and have a relationship with him, we have connected with him on Facebook. He knows he can always reach out to me there. Every once in a while, he'll ask for pictures. I remember talking with him on the phone one time right after Bradley was born, and we just got to share a little bit about ourselves, a little bit about our family, and just thank him for being willing to, um, he had to relinquish his parental rights in order for Bradley to come to our family. And so that decision and the role that he played was absolutely crucial in us being able yep. to take Bradley into our home right from the hospital. So for us, we really try to honor um the role that our kids' birth fathers have played in their lives, I will say the relationship that we have with them is very, very different. And it's often not as consistent and not as deep, but it's still an important relationship for my kids. And I'm grateful that the that the lines of communication are open and yeah. that when my kids or their birth fathers have questions or want to know more or want to get to know each other better, that that option is going to be open to them. Yeah. So I'm grateful for that. I think that's something so awesome, not only for me and Jared and for these birth dads, but also for our kids, Yeah, that that door of communication is open for them. Yeah. And I, I think it's just important to say that obviously parents have to make the decision that's right for their children. And if they're, if the birth father or if the birth mother for that matter are not in a, the greatest place, it might not be an option at that time to have open communication that's with them. Right. And that's okay. That's right. You just have to do what's best for them. Okay, I think the other question that I get most often, especially earlier on, is, is it hard to see Alex? And so if you remember, I got to see her when she was five. And then after five, I didn't get to see her until she was 13. And that's just because a lot was going on in their family. Uh, I was also raising toddlers. Mm -hmm. And if you've raised toddlers, your days and months and years all run together. Yeah, It's a lot. And... So just life happened and we didn't get to see each other until she was 13. And so when I did get to see her when she was 13, at first it was a little bit awkward because I looked at her and I was like, oh my gosh, there is this mini version of me that's a 13 year old. And it was awkward for her because she was like, who's this person that looks like me? And I know is my birth mom. And then she has these four kids that are technically, quote unquote, my biological siblings. Again, I don't want to talk for Alex, but I just can imagine what a 13-year-old mind would, like, is so confused. And that first time when she was 13, when I left, we spent the day at the park, like, probably three hours and just played and had the best time. And when we left, I remember just, like, completely, sh I felt shattered. I was like, I don't know if this is going to happen again. Because remember... I didn't get to see, I mean, she was five last time I saw her. So in my mind, I'm thinking, what's 13 minus five? Eight. eight. <laughs> yeah. Not great at math. But I was thinking maybe it'll be another eight years. Okay. I have no idea. And so it was the unknown that completely killed me. So I just like held onto her and hugged her and her head fit so perfectly, which like right on my chest. And I just hugged her and I just said, I know you might not understand this, but I love you so much. And I was just 
sobbing. And then she got into her car with her mom. And then I got into my car with my family. And Jared kind of knew that I just needed to just process. And so I just cried and cried. Like, you guys, when I'm telling you I cried, I like sobbed. Like, like the ugly sob because I was just like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get this chance again. And I was so thankful because I had to also wrap my head around, she might not be ready for this the next time. Like the next time she might not want to see us and that would have had to have been okay. And so I, it was just the unknown. And then uh, thankfully ever since then, I was able to see her at 14 and 15 and 16 and 17 and 18 and 19 and 20. And so that was such a blessing. And so I would say the first few times I did cry like that. Like I would sob and Jared knew right away. I just got a letter process. Don't talk to her. She's going to be really sad for the next 24 hours. And then after that, she'll be fine. And that's really was the case. And then I would say maybe the last two years, I would say that I've gotten to see her a few days at a time. When I leave, it's more like a hug of like a best friend that lives in a different state that you're mm-hmm. like, can't wait to see you next time. That's right. And it's amazing. It's amazing the feeling of like knowing that your relationship is not final. It's not ending. It's just growing and it's continuing to grow. And so at first, yes, it was sometimes hard to see her. It was more actually not even hard to see her. It was the best days and hours ever. It was more hard to say goodbye or like because I didn't know when it was going to happen again. And but I actually loved being around her. I loved seeing her. I loved seeing all of her little personality. I loved when she would ask questions like she was the cutest and she would ask things like, are you allergic to seafood or are you do you like this? And sometimes she would ask Jared questions and I'd be like, hello, <laughs> you can ask me. But I also realized there was no pressure with Jared. Yeah. I mean, there's a little bit of pressure, right? But it was just so fun to see her. I love seeing her. And every time I get to see her, it's like just the best. I love it so much. And we had this conversation uh, maybe two times ago that we saw each other that she would get a little bit of anxiety when she would first see me. And then after like a few minutes, she'd be like, why am I so, why do I get so worked up and like nervous about seeing Heidi? And anyways, it's just turned into this really beautiful friendship and I love it. And so now it's never a goodbye. It's just can't wait to see you next time. So I don't cry as much because I normally, it's sad, but I don't anymore. And I love that. And my mom, actually, I talked to my mom today and she said that she gets that same question when people say is it hard to see her because my parents got to meet her last year about a year ago exactly and people would ask her was it hard for you to see her was it hard for you to say goodbye my mom said the same thing she said that at you know she was worried that it was going to be very hard to say goodbye and then she just realized that this is just the beginning of our relationship as a big family and she just said it wasn't as hard to say goodbye to her as I thought it was because I knew that we would see them again. And it's just the beginning. So that's that's my answer for that one. That's beautiful. All right. So we have quite a few more questions and we're going to break this up into a second episode. So join us next week and we will tackle a few more questions that we have gotten from some of our listeners and just other frequently asked questions that we get. So thanks so much for joining us, guys. Bye.